0: Welcome to We Have This Hope. My name is Emily Curzon. This is a podcast about the study of scripture, the art of remembering, and the practice of telling. On the show, we'll explore the ways God calls his people to remember by studying scripture together and we'll hear individual stories of hope anchored in the beautiful and ancient practice of remembering. I'm so glad you're here. Hey, we made it. It's our last episode in our study series on the book of James. If you are just tuning in, you can totally listen. But this is the eighth episode in a series where we've been looking at the book of James all summer long. And when I set out to do this over the summer, I had envisioned myself recording in the early mornings, sitting in my backyard or at the long desk in our front room. (laughs) But things didn't quite happen that way and it's okay. Instead, I studied and recorded at a folding table in an apartment and in my husband's office on the weekends on the floor of my parents' study with the microphone literally propped up on a reclined chair or even now on a blue couch in a house that I don't own. It's been a strange and sweet summer and I'm delighted to be talking about the end of this book, not because I want it to be over, but just because I love it so much. And it's been really meaningful to me. It's been really anchoring for me this summer. I hope it has been for you. Okay, today we're zooming in on the closing of James's letter to the church. So with that, let's open our Bibles and turn on our ears, because it's rich and it's good. And you don't want to miss the details for today's episode we're splitting it into two scripture readings so this first passage is starting in chapter 5 verse 7. james 5 7 through 12 be patient then brothers until the lord's coming see how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop and how patient he is for the autumn and spring rains. You too, be patient and stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. Don't grumble against each other, brothers, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. Brothers, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we consider blessed those who have persevered You have heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. Above all, my brothers, do not swear, not by heaven or by earth or by anything else. Let your yes be your yes and your no, no, or you will be condemned. Okay, let's get started. So your Bible, if you're looking at it, like mine, may have a delineation between verses 12 and 13. And so that's why we sort of broke it up that this way. We're going to just look at these first five verses and answer our three questions. The first is, what did it say? Okay, so right off the bat, we can see that James is beginning to finish where he started. If you remember chapter one of James, we remember he talks about blessed is the one who perseveres under trial. Well, here at the end, he makes a plea for perseverance again. And here is just a list of what he says. If you're doing this on your own, do the same thing. What did it say? Well, he told the church to be patient and to stand firm, which translated really means to not lose heart or to persevere. He also uses some phrasing that's similar to what we talked about last week. Two times, he talks about the Lord's coming, and he says the Lord's coming is near. And then he alludes to Jesus' teaching on His return in Matthew 24, with this idea of someone, namely Jesus here, standing right behind a door and knocking. There's like a sense of urgency or perhaps a sense of intensity, I think, in James's words here. Then he offers some examples of this perseverance he's calling them to have, the prophets and Job, two figures that this Jewish audience would certainly know. And he reminds them of what God did in Job's life. He says, God blessed the latter part of his life more than the first. He died old and full of years. That's what Job says. Sorry, not James. So these first few verses are pretty basic. He's challenging them to do something and then giving them familiar examples of people who've done it. Now, verse 12, this is the let your yes be your yes and your no be your no verse. At first reading, this stands out a little bit as peculiar or maybe like randomly placed when it says stuff like do not swear. Now, at anytime something seems peculiar to me that's where i want to go to context that's where i want to start to ask the question okay well why did this matter what was he really talking about what was the time and the place and the context okay so hang with me jesus actually said this exact same thing the let your yes be your yes and your no be your no but with even more detail in his sermon in matthew 5 starting in verse 34 he says do not swear at all either by heaven for it is God's throne or by earth, for it is his footstool. So the swearing and the oath making was apparently a pretty common practice in the culture at that time. And I'm not talking about swearing as in like using bad language, but making oaths to confirm what you say is true. And Jesus says not to do this. He says simply to be a person of truth. What you say is what you mean and what you say is what you do. So in this section, James seems to simply be echoing the teachings of Jesus that are relevant at the time. Now, something interesting I thought that N.T. Wright said in his commentary on James, this is a quote, he says, quote, the one time we're told in the Bible that someone began to curse and swear was when Peter was insisting that he didn't know Jesus. That should give us pause for thought, end quote. I just thought that was really good. Overall, I think in this section, James is building to a close by calling the church to be patient and serious about what is happening in their world, to persevere and to be people whose words are consistently trustworthy. Be patient, be trustworthy. Sounds a lot like persevere. So you can be mature and complete, not lacking anything. I breezed through that section on purpose because I want to spend the majority of our time of this episode looking at the last few verses of James's letter. I was so moved as I was studying this. I told Dustin last night, I really hope I can communicate what I'm feeling in my heart and my mind. If you've ever had like an experience like that with scripture and you're like, ah, I just want to tell somebody about this, that's how I feel about these last few verses. So my prayer has been that I can help com- like convey that in this episode. I hope that's what you're about to hear. So with that, we're going to start in verse 13 and go through the very end, verse 20. James five thirteen through 20. Is any one of you in trouble? He should pray. Is anyone happy? Let him sing songs of praise. Is any one of you sick? He should call the elders of the church to pray over him and anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise him up. If one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring him back, remember this, whoever turns a sinner from the error of his way will save him from death and cover over a multitude of sins. Let's start with our first question. What did it say? Here's what I heard. He says, if things are going well, or if things are difficult, we should pray. Then he uses the example of being sick as a transition to sort of corporate prayer. He says, if you're sick, you should call the church leaders to pray for you and anoint you with oil. And an interesting thing will then happen. He says, the Lord will raise him up. He says also to confess to each other and pray for each other. And that this is effective and powerful. You've probably heard that verse quoted somewhere in your journey through scripture. And again, he also holds out an OG example of this kind of prayer. And this time it's Elijah the prophet. And he specifically cites the story from first Kings 18 where Elijah challenges King Ahab to basically a prayer contest, where the end result is that Elijah prays for rain to end a three and a half year drought. And God sends rain and fire, and the people see that Elijah's God is the real God, and they fall on their faces and destroy their idols, and they worship the one true God. So there's this huge Old Testament connection here that he's making. And then James closes his letter with this from the Message translation. It's so beautiful. I'm going to read it to you. He says, My dear friends, if you know people who've wandered off from God's truth, don't write them off. Go after them, get them back, and you will have rescued precious lives from destruction and prevented an epidemic of wandering away from God. Isn't that lovely? (laughs) There's a lot packed into these seven verses, and while in general I think James is easy to understand pretty much what he says you can take at face value. There's some real depth here and I don't want to miss it. And we can find that if we keep digging and ask our context question, why did it matter? To unpack this question, we're going to zoom in on verses 14 and 15 because I think the contextual elements of this verse really help us understand the fullness of what James wants his audience to know. It's the culmination of his letter to his beloved church, but we miss it if we don't slow down. Okay, so I'm gonna reread verses 14 and 15. This is where he says, is one of you sick? He should call the elders of the church to pray over him and anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person. Well, the Lord will raise him up. There are three things that stand out to me in this verse. Three things to unpack to answer. Why did it matter? Why did these words bear weight to their intended audience at the time? The first thing is sickness. James leads by asking the question, is one of you sick? Well, what does he mean by this? So hmm, I'm going to go to some Greek here. The word sick is asthenio in Greek. Forgive my pronunciation. It's G seven, seven, zero, if you want to look it up and it means to be feeble in any sense, to be imperfect, to be powerless or diseased. Now it most certainly means physical sickness of the body, which I do think James is speaking to here. But it can also mean something much more. Something I think we could call sin sickness. When our brokenness and our humanity rears its ugly heads and we realize that we are very much frail and imperfect. James asks the question to the church this question is one of you sick? And then, and this is the second thing that stands out, he gives instructions for what to do, and the instructions are twofold. He says to pray and to be anointed with oil. Now, depending on where you worship, this idea of anointing with oil may be really foreign to you. It's ripe with meaning, so let's talk about it. Okay, here's your history lesson. The practice of anointing oil was widespread in ancient Israel. This would have been something all people of that time were familiar with, not unusual at all. In fact, the use of oil was very practical. It had medicinal purposes and even cosmetic purposes, not honestly widely dissimilar from now, hello, essential oils craze, but it was ripe with symbolic uses too. The main symbolic function was to formalize an elevation in legal status. So a new king would be anointed with oil, particularly if there was a dispute about his place in the Davidic line. So if you studied Proverbs in the life of Solomon with me, you may remember that David's other son, Adonijah, tries to take the throne in place of Solomon, who they all knew had been chosen by God to take his father's place. So what ends up happening is the good guys, they end up rushing Solomon up on a hill, on a donkey, and what do they do? They anoint him with oil from a horn. And the dispute is settled, Solomon is king. Priests would also be anointed with oil when they were, like, sanctified for their role. So one article from the Jewish Virtual Library said that oil was used to sanctify the priest by Here's the quote, removing him from the realm of the profane and empowering him to operate in the realm of the sacred. So it was an elevation in legal status and a, st- a sanctification. It, it, it made their role official. The other symbolic function, hang with me here, was purification. So like think leprosy. Now the old testament's filled with examples of purification rituals and this is (laughs) this is not the time or place to go into that but essentially a leper was sprinkled with oil and on the eighth day it says the ostracism of the leper is ended and he is free to re-enter society in other words the anointing with oil was a means by which the leper was free to enter into community And so we see that when James calls the church to anoint the sick with oil, it's not just an empty ritual. It's a culturally and religiously sacred action taken by the church to elevate the status of the imperfect or the powerless person to heal them and to invite them into community. Okay. So the third thing, remember, we have sickness, we have the anointing with oil. And finally, James tells them exactly what will happen. He says that God will raise them up. And this is where the verse gets tricky. (laughs) When we read it through our own lens, we hear things like, if we pray in faith, sick people will be healed. And of course I believe that to be true. However, I don't know a single person, including myself, who in hearing that immediately thinks of the person they love or loved who wasn't healed from their physical sickness when we prayed for them. Did I not have enough faith? Did we not pray enough? In the back of our minds, we ask questions like this, don't we? And then we either sit in the tension of our faith and our reality, or we offer up perhaps some kind of incomplete explanation of how God's kingdom is really at work, and then we try to forget it. But James says that God will raise us up. So let's dig a little deeper. <laughs> the phrase raised up is a Greek verb, G1453, agiro, again, forgive the pronunciation and it's used usually two ways in scripture it's a literal waking up like when the disciples fell asleep and jesus said wake up it's used when christ is resurrected but it's also used metaphorically over and over again to say things like paul says in ephesians 5 14 wake up sleeper rise from the dead and christ may shine on you in other words Like, look alive, pay attention, wake up. God's kingdom is breaking in. There's resurrection happening everywhere, and it's available to you. Perhaps being raised up means more than just physical healing. Yes, God can and will heal the sick. But even more than this, he can and will resurrect our whole lives so that we wake up to his reality at work all around us transforming how we see the world how we operate in it and most importantly how we hope the kicker is that james says this kind of raising up this kind of resurrection it happens in the context of the church it is not an individual activity this kind of resurrection happens with other believers. It was never meant to be a solo endeavor. Why did it matter? James is giving practical instructions for how the church ought to care for the sick. But even more, he's coaching them on how to live together as resurrection people. And that means us too. We made it to the end. I can't believe it. Man, I love the book of James. I hope you did too. I hope that you learned something new. And maybe even if it's just how to use the three questions in your own personal study. um, And I hope you enjoyed it. If you did, would you let me know? I would really love your feedback. I know I say that a lot, but your reviews your comments, your texts, your kind and encouraging words help me to keep doing this even when life is busy and hectic. On that note, I'm going to take a week or two off and I can't wait. The reason is because I am just needing to get creative about the podcast. I have some cool stuff coming down the pipe in late September. Some authors that I've interviewed who have books coming out that just their words and their work are wonderful. So in the interim time, I'm going to launch some kindergartners into school and I'm going to get creative and I can't wait to share what God is stirring up in me. So with that, love you. Thanks for listening and have a great week.